Let's pray together. Our Father, we turn our hearts to you now and ask for your help. Your help for me that I might hug tightly to your word. Your word is living and active. We have not gathered to hear from men, but we do want to hear from God. And we trust that in these times, God has something to say to us. Something for our lives, something for our faith, something that will change us. We pray for our ears and our hearts that we would receive this word, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. And that it would have its effect on our lives and we would be different for having been here. Let us have joy as a result of today and transform lives. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we begin, let me just say that this weekend I had the opportunity to preach somewhere else and it was a joy and it was wonderful. But every time I'm renewed again in my love for you and I'm so grateful to God for you, Seven Mile Road Church. I love you. I love your love for the Lord. I am always reminded of your love for God's word. You model for me what it looks like to be a people who, as Jesus said, don't live by just bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is among you a hunger for God and to hear from God and for his word, which makes preaching to you such a delight. And so I again am so glad that God has called me here to you and again have just great love for you. Okay, Uh, it'll be a long time before I say something nice to you again, so I hope that was really encouraging. Um, We are nearing the end of our series on the resurrection, and so we've got one more week next week where we'll look through, because Jesus rose, it means we will live forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we want to close with next week. The week after that, we're going to kick off a brand new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the greatest sermon ever preached. And so as we get ready for that, what we'd encourage you to do is start reading just those three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and read those chapters and prepare and let those words soak in your own heart as we get ready for a season to consider Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're so excited about that, and we hope and pray that you'll jump into that prayerfully and pray for us as we prepare for that in this next coming season. Over these weeks, we've considered the resurrection of Jesus. And what we've been talking about is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? Let that settle for a second. Jesus Christ, really a man in Nazareth, rose from the dead. It changes everything. We've said that it's changed everything about what we think about death and life after death, what waits beyond the grave. It changes everything for what's here before the grave. It causes us to rethink life before death and life after death. It changes everything. I mean, just review with me some of the ground that we've covered. We've said we can know with certainty that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that that certainty means some things. For example, over these weeks, we've said that that means that Jesus really is Messiah and Lord. He is the long-awaited one. He has conquered over the most powerful enemies in the world of sin and Satan and death. And so because of that, his kingdom really has broken into this world here and now. His kingdom is here and is coming. It's arrived and is arriving. And so that means Jesus really can say, as he did after his resurrection, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we who follow Jesus really do live like he's king of heaven now and king of earth now. And so we live to see the rule and reign of Jesus extended to every part of the world because we really believe 
He's risen. He's Lord, King of earth and heaven. We've said because the resurrection is real, it means that this life is not all there is. There's more. And because of that, we know that death itself will die. Because of that, while we live, we said it means that we can take great risks for God. And that while we live, we can labor in the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. We said that because the resurrection is real, it means that he was raised to new life. And that means we can be raised to new life. That is, spiritually, we can be born again to a new and living hope. We can, by his resurrection, Romans 4, 25, he was raised for our justification. That is, that we can stand right with God because he rose again. Or even last week, what we considered. Because he rose again, it means that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. That you would know what is the great immeasurable power of his might that is at work towards us who believe. This week, as we head towards the finish line, we want to say this then. We want to add this to the conversation. And that is that because Jesus Christ rose, we will share in a resurrection body like his. Because Jesus rose bodily in the flesh, we too will have a resurrection body like his. That's the thing that we want to add to the conversation today. Because Jesus rose bodily and in the flesh, we will rise with a body like his. This week, I have to tell you that that was particularly relevant for me because I spent most of the week sort of in and out of the hospital in New York visiting my father-in-law. My, my father, Shainu's dad, had to go to the hospital. By God's grace, he's doing fine. But there's something about being in a hospital that just reminds you of how perishable these things we carry on are, right? You folks that work in the hospital as doctors or nurses, you probably see this all the time. But as I was in and out of the hospital all week, I was just, again, freshly reminded of how perishable these bodies that we have are. As I was walking to my father-in-law's room, I couldn't help but peer into room after room after room and saw one person after another, which I imagine at some point in their lives, they were young and vibrant and strong. And yet now, here they are laid on their back, machines hooked up to them, struggling to take breath and breathe, unable to move, needing help for the most basic things that you and I do with at will. And when you're there, there's something about that whole thing that sort of reminds you these bodies wear out. They break down. They don't last forever. They run out of steam and run out of gas and run out of life. When you're young and you're healthy, you hardly think of those things. But there's something about a stroll through a hospital or or walking through a cemetery that will quickly remind you this thing will not last forever. These bodies will come to an end. They will wear out. They will die. And yet, rather than leaving us sort of depressed about that, right there into that very reality, the Christian message, the gospel comes and says, friends, don't fear. Don't fret. There's good news. Because Jesus rose bodily, we will rise with a body like his. We will have a resurrection body like his. And don't miss that. Right? The good news of Easter, and we've said this over and again throughout the series, the good news of Easter is not after Jesus died, his soul went up to heaven to live forever with God. 
And that one day when we die, our souls, invisible, immaterial, will live forever with God in heaven. That's not what Easter is, and that's not what resurrection means. Resurrection is this soul was rejoined with his body, and that his body beat with life again. And that he came out of the grave with flesh and bone. And that we, too, will share in a resurrection like his. We will be raised with a body. A body that has the same characteristics as his. That's what Easter is. I mean, and, then, and when you think through that, there's this glorious mystery to that. That is that there's sort of a, a, con- a continuity and at the same time a glorious sort of transformation that takes place with his body. What do I mean by that? There's a continuity between the body of Christ that was put in the grave on Friday and the body of Christ that rose from the grave on Sunday. There's a continuity. For example, it was that same body. When we say the tomb was empty, remember, friends, what we're saying is that same material that was there on Friday was not there anymore. And and it didn't just disappear and no one just stole it. It was that God used that same material to raise his son and give him a glorified, transformed body. There was continuity because we know that the scars were in the same places where he died on Friday. There were scars in his hands and in his feet from the nail piercings. And so it was that same body. We know there's continuity because when they saw him, they were able to recognize him. When he spoke to them, they said, it's Jesus. We know there's continuity because they saw that body eat food. They saw him. They could touch him. They could handle him. They could be near him. There was this glorious continuity that the same body of Christ on Friday was raised somehow on Sunday. But at the same time, there's this glorious transformation as well. Because while it was the same, it wasn't the same. Because you read in the accounts that sometimes they were kept from recognizing him. It's almost as if they could be walking with him and didn't even know they were walking with Jesus until he opened their eyes to see that this was Christ. Or, Or things like they're sitting in a locked room, the doors are closed, and suddenly Jesus appears. And he reassures them, I'm not a ghost, I have flesh and bones, see it. But he just sort of appears. Or they're breaking bread and they're eating with him and suddenly he vanishes from their sight. Somehow, this resurrected body seems to have qualities and properties and characteristics that we don't have language or knowledge yet to even describe. It's a continuous thing, but it's also a gloriously transformed thing. And here's the brilliant news for us. That's what's going to happen to you. I mean, you look, if you would, down at your arms and and you you can feel your knees. This body of yours is also going to be raised with those same characteristics. So that in the new heavens and the new earth, it will be you and we'll know it's you. And you'll have a mind that works. and, And when you speak, we'll know it's you. And yet at the same time, it'll take on characteristics and properties and qualities that we don't even yet have language to describe. Christianity says that what happened to Christ's body will happen to your body, that we will rise with a body like his. Now, as I say that, I can imagine that for some of us, that must sound ridiculous. For some of us, for our friends, certainly for folks in our city, that must sound ridiculous. And if it does, you would not be the first ones to think so. 
Because in the passage we're looking at today, the one that Jake read for us, the Apostle Paul, he's one of the first Christians who led the church, who saw the resurrected Jesus. He's addressing some of the same skepticism that we might have about this whole thing. And he's answering some of the same questions that we might ask about, what do you mean a physical resurrection? He's going to address some of the skeptics. And, and in fact, to be fair, they're not so much skeptics as they are just outright uh, hecklers. That's probably more correctly who they are. These are folks in 1 Corinthians 15 who find the physical resurrection of the body to be probably the dumbest thing they have ever heard. Right? These are folks who say, you know what? If you want us to believe that your invisible soul flies off somewhere and is with God, fine. No one's going to stop you. We can't prove it wrong, right, whatever. You can believe that. That's fine. But if you're going to actually say that this thing is going to go into the ground, be buried, do what bodies do when they're buried under the ground, and then still come up, you got to be kidding me. In fact, this is how they ask it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. You can just see it on the screen. <clears throat> it says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I should probably read that differently. I should read it with sort of an attitude because that's the way they're asking. They're saying, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Because this question is not the honest question of a seeker who's just trying to scratch his head and go, you know, how does this thing work? This is the question of a heckler who's trying to show Paul up. This is a guy who's trying to say, wait, let me get this straight, Paul. You believe and you want us to believe that the body is going to come back from the ground. This is a guy who wants to say, Paul, you do know what happens to bodies when they're buried, right? This is a guy who wants to say, you do know what happens to these physical things when they're buried six feet under. And listen, if you hear that question, you know that this is not just a question from first century Corinth. This is a question you asked, I asked. This is a question that our friends would certainly ask. I mean, you can almost hear your friends when you talk about the resurrection asking these kinds of questions. Like, okay, what happens if the body's cremated? And the ashes are spread throughout the streams and rivers. Is somehow those ashes going to come back together and form bone and body? What happens if, if someone dies at sea and, and their bones are scattered throughout the ocean floor or some kind of explosion or someone's burned? or What, what happens in those things? How, how do you imagine that the hip bone is going to find the thigh bone then? I mean, that is the nastiest jigsaw puzzle that there's ever going to be. I mean, how do you imagine this will take place? How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do you suppose they come is the question. It's a, it's a question to say, and forget all kinds of weird things. What about just natural decomposition of the body? What happens when these things go away, Paul? How, how does the body, which is really just going to be food for worms, come back? So how exactly are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come, Paul? The question is someone who thinks that this is the most foolish thing they've ever heard. And listen to how Paul responds. Paul says, you fool. 36. You fool. You foolish person. I love that. 
right? He, he says in 36, you fool. In fact, some of the English translations soften this because it seems too harsh. They go, what a foolish question. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's going, you fool. Now, when he says fool, he's not just throwing out a word. Jesus warned about calling a brother a fool without cause. He's calling you a fool because you're a fool, right? In the Old Testament, when the scriptures called you a fool, it wasn't even an, a knock at your intelligence. It wasn't, it wasn't a way of saying you're dumb. In fact, I, I would say that the person that Paul has in mind here is the guy who has a 4.0 from an Ivy League school, has more degrees than the thermometer, is, is this world-renowned academic. That's who Paul has in mind. And Paul's looking at that guy, and he's not making a knock at his intelligence. He's making a moral pronouncement, a moral judgment, and saying, you know what you are? You are a genius. Granted, you're a fool because you have not factored in the living God. Tell me, what is it that the power of God cannot do, fool? Right? Because in the Old Testament, in Psalms, it'll say, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He's saying, you are being foolish because you have not factored in the living God. What is the power of God able to do? Right? He's talking to a guy who is a heckler who's thinking, I've stumped Christianity because, Paul, how on earth are you going to say that you put something into the ground, it dies, it decomposes, and then something springs up to new life? Tell me, Paul, how is that going to happen? Tell me, Paul, how do you bury something in the ground? You don't see it anymore, and yet new life emerges. Tell me, Paul, where does that happen? How could that possibly happen? And Paul says, you know why you're a fool? Because God has put that all throughout creation as a picture for you to see. All throughout, you're just not paying attention. And what am I talking about? He says, consider a seed. I brought a seed. I swear you can't see it, but I'm holding a seed, okay? Listen to what he says. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So to the heckler that has just finished saying, what on earth could you put into the ground, bury, it's gone, it decomposes, and then comes back to life? Paul says, have you ever considered a seed? Paul says, do you know God's put an illustration for you all throughout creation? You just got to pay attention. Paul says, if you were to spend some time with some of you folks that have a green thumb, we would learn a lot about ultimate reality and resurrection. So when I think of green thumbs and gardening, I, I think of Matt Johnson, I think of my dad. I think of Matt Johnson because Matt Johnson is like a ninja gardener, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is you never see him work. He's real stealthy about everything. But suddenly, some months later, there's flowers all over the churchyard. And when you go, where'd that come from? Matt Johnson, right? That's, that's how it happens. I think of Matt Johnson. Or I think of my dad, right? I've probably told you this before. Growing up, I didn't have a backyard because dad thought he was living on a plantation and changed the whole backyard into plants and vegetables and flowers of every kind. I think I've said this before too. In my wedding, he brought the photographers and the camera guys outside to take a picture of him in the garden. So my wedding video cuts from me putting on a tux to dad in the garden with his 
bitter gourds or, or okra or whatever it is. So, so I'll give you an example. My dad was at my house last week, and he knows he's got this useless son who's not going to go outside and do anything. And so he is out in my backyard digging up dirt, and he's planting vegetables for my family. So I call Micah over, my three-year-old boy. I call Micah over and I go, come outside, grandpa's planting something, you got to come see this. So he comes running out and he's waiting to see what? Plants. And I show him and I go, there it is. And you should have seen the look on the boy's face like Dada's lost it. Because I'm showing him black dirt. Now I know you know what happened so you've lost the wonder of that. But, But what I'm supposed to tell Micah is this. I'm supposed to tell Micah. Now imagine you've got Micah's mind. Imagine you hadn't lost the wonder of all of this. Imagine this is the first time you're being told. I'm supposed to tell Micah, Micah, you see this? This little, brown, ugly, lifeless, small thing. I'm going to put that into the ground, and then this is going to come out. You know what Micah should say? Micah should ask, verse 35, how are seeds raised? With what kind of body do they come? I mean, you've lost the wonder of that because you, you see this all the time, but I'm supposed to convince him that this thing is going to become this thing. That this thing is going to go into the ground. We're going to bury it. It's not going to be there anymore. It's going to be dead and done. You'll never see it again. But this is what's going to come out. And Micah's supposed to go, yeah. Paul's saying... What happens to a seed? Don't you see, you, you bury something in the ground. It's gone forever. And yet in its death, life springs up. And what comes out is much different, much more glorious, much weightier, much more beautiful than what you put in. What you put in is a seed, but God determines what kind of body it comes out with. So it happens with every seed in the ground. So it happened with Jesus and his body. So it will happen with yours. In fact, that's what he says, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. Here's what Paul does. Paul is going to shift from illustration, illustrating his point to now explanation. He's just giving you a picture so that you can see, here's what's happening. And now he's ready to explain and tell you, listen, friends, what you put into the ground is one thing. What comes out is gloriously transformed. From death comes life. It's all in creation. And he says then, listen, what's sown is one thing. And look at the words he uses. What's sown is perishable. What's sown is in dishonor. It's sown in weakness. It's sown a natural body. So he's saying, look, these things that we put into the ground, these bodies you have, what are they? They're perishable. They're perishable. A walk through a hospital floor reminds you they're perishable. Cancer reminds you it's perishable. Diabetes and heart attacks and dementia and bipolar and arthritis and all of it reminds you these bodies are perishable. And then when at last life leaves this body, you put it in the ground and it decays. And no matter how hard you try, you can't even stop it because it's perishable. He says it's sown in dishonor. That is that these things were created by God for his glory. They were to be honorable things for his glory. Now let me ask you though, 
If you were to take a printout of the deeds of this body you have, if everything you've ever done in this body was written out in pages into a book, I think most of us would say dishonor would be a good title for that book. We know what these things have done. They were created for the glory of God, and yet they're covered with dishonor until death just shows us what we've known all through life. I mean, you, you, you know at the funeral, you can pretty up that corpse as much as you want, and yet is there anything that looks as pathetic and pitiful as a lifeless corpse? You can dress it in the finest clothes, you can put on the nicest makeup, and yet you're just trying to hide the fact that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Sown in dishonor, sown in weakness, it says. Weakness, right? Many of us are young, and because we're young, we don't know of weakness of the body. But talk to our elders, talk to our parents and our grandparents, and they'll remind us that these things will not be strong forever. Last week, I was in the parking lot, and Laura had just driven up, and I I had driven up. And so Laura and I were talking about something, and she was telling me about a church, and she was telling me about someone, and she couldn't remember the name. And she said, I can't forget the name. And then she said, this is what happens when you get old. And I, trying to be sympathetic, said, I know, Laura. And she, I love her, she goes, no, you don't. (laughs) But you will. (laughs) Right? When you're young, the resurrection body seems hardly like news at all, let alone good news. But wait till we're 75 and 87, and the eyes don't work like they used to, and the legs don't move as fast as they used to, and, and, and the mind doesn't work as sharp as it used to, and when everything is breaking down, when, when weakness is something we see right before us in the mirror all the time, we'll wait for the day of resurrection bodies. It's sown in weakness. And is there a greater picture of weakness than when you go to the funeral and when you peer over the casket? Again, many of us are young. The next 15, 20 years hold for many of us lots of funerals. As loved ones and parents and grandparents pass, we'll be there often. And when you peer over into the casket, you're going to see the ultimate picture of weakness. No power left whatsoever. And yet the scriptures into that place don't leave you depressed. Because it's right then and there that the scriptures say, friends, take heart. What you're looking at in the casket is this. It's just a seed. It's going to go down. But wait till you see what God brings up. It's going to go down. But wait till you see what God brings up. I'm amazed by that. I know my wife, Shanu, planted tulips in October. Have you ever seen a tulip bulb? It looks like just an ugly tumor. And she put put these little tumors in the ground, and the most beautiful tulips came up in May. And, And what I'm saying to you is when you look at the casket, when that hour comes for you and this little seed is put in the ground, if God has chosen to give a tulip body to that ugly tumor, imagine what he's going to do with you and me. I mean, if the tumor goes into the ground and comes up a tulip, what on earth is in store for what he intends to do with you when he puts you in the ground and brings you back up? I'm telling you, I'm coming back like the Indian Tom Brady. I know it, right? (laughs) God has for us resurrection bodies. 
I, I want you to hear this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's brilliant. He says this, the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. See what C.S. Lewis, you're talking to a, a plain Jane, an average Joe. They don't seem impressive to you at all. But wait till God puts that in the ground and wait till you see what he brings up. I mean, if you saw it, you'd almost be tempted to fall down and worship. Because that's what Paul says. These things are sown, perishable. They're raised, imperishable. They're sown in dishonor. They're raised in glory. They're sown in weakness. They're raised in power. They're sown natural bodies of the flesh. They're raised spiritual bodies controlled by the Spirit. That's what's going to happen to us. Or, or listen to this quote from a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. If you know the story of Joni Erickson Tata, I think when she was 17 or so, this Christian woman, she went diving, hit her head against a rock, and became a quadriplegic. No movement from the shoulders down. Listen to this quote from her. I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me, or someone who is cerebral palsy, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives to someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. That's our hope, friends. Don't you see what God is going to put in the ground is one thing. What he's going to raise up is going to be a body like his sons. Is that good news for us, friends? Yeah. If you're here and your body right now aches, if there's pains, if your body is a constant source of tension, I want you to hear good news. There is coming a day when you will have a body like his and your body will be pain-free. If your body right now is breaking down and weak, I want you to hear this. What is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. What's sown in weakness will be raised in power. If your body right now is a constant reminder of your failures, if your body is covered with filth and shame as a reminder of what you have done here, What's sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. There's a day coming when that body you despise right now will shine like the sun in glory. What is coming for us, friends, is a day when cancer won't mean anything and blindness won't exist and body image won't be in our vocabulary because we will have a body like his. There's all kinds of things we should think through with that. Right? So I'll give you two quick words of application for us. On the one hand, here's what that means to us in our culture. It means we live in a culture that worships the body. Don't worship the body. Some of us are convinced, if I could just look like that, if I could just have a body like that. I mean, you talk about a culture that is obsessed with the body. Every magazine cover has for you some display of what a perfect body is supposed to be. And God is coming to us in the scriptures and saying, don't worship that. It's this. Nobody puts this all over their house and goes, would you look at my tulip tumors? I mean, look how beautiful they are. It's, it's a seed. It's not what yet will be, so don't worship this. 
It's just a seed that's going to be put in the ground. And at the same time, at the other extreme, the scriptures would caution us and say, don't worship it, but also don't despise the body. Don't come to a place where you think the spiritual is what matters, the body who cares. No, because one day that will become this. And God doesn't intend to throw it away. God intends to transform it. And so if that's the case, we should not either worship it as God or discard it as garbage. We should glorify God in our bodies. He has redeemed us for himself to live this life, to die, and to be resurrected like him. Well, Paul ends by saying this. Let me read you the last verses and then we'll close. Verse 45 on following, he says, all of this is because of Jesus. So listen, thus it is written, the first, Adam, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was a man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul wants to end by saying, this is all because of Jesus. You see, here's what happens. There was once a man, the first man, a man made of dust. And all his sons and all his daughters inherited bodies of dust that were perfectly suited for this world and this earth and this life. And we bore the image of the first Adam. But that life and that body is only fit for here. But there was another Adam, a second Adam, the last Adam. And he wasn't made of dust. He came from heaven for us and to us. And those who are now in him, that is those who have died with him in repentance, those who have resurrected with him in new life, those who are in him will one day share his image with a body like his. Because Jesus is the better Adam and we are in Jesus, we will have a body fit for the life to come. Here's the last thing I want to say. In Adam, we got a body that was fit for this life, but that body will not do for the life to come. It's almost as if the scripture is saying, you can't go in there looking like this, right? You've heard that before. You're getting dressed up for church. It wasn't good enough. You can't go there looking like that. Right? That's what the scriptures are saying. In the next verse, it'll say, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't go there into the new heavens and the new earth looking like this. But our problem is we got this body from Adam. Our only hope is to get a better body from a better Adam. And that's our hope. I'll give you one last illustration that a preacher said, and I think it brings it home for us. There's a, a very exclusive club in Augusta, Georgia, called the Augusta National Golf Club. Very elite. In fact, they have a champion's dinner, and the only people that are allowed into the room are folks who have won the Masters Tournament, which is the famous golf tournament, and have been given the green jacket. If you, if you follow golf, you know that at the end of the Masters Tournament, more than even the prize money, what's really cherished and prized is the green jacket, because not everyone gets to wear that. And in the champion's dinner room, only those with green jackets get to go. Now, if I were to say to you, are you and I ever going to get into that room? The answer would be no, right? None of you play golf, and if you do, none of you are good enough for it. You, you're never going to get in. It's too elite. You can't go in there looking like that. You don't have what it takes. You're never going to get a green jacket. And this preacher said the only way would be if someone who did have the skill and achieved a green jacket gave it to me, and I could put it on, and I could go in. That's the only way I'd ever get access. 
And he's saying here, in Adam you received one body. You were of dust. You were in his image. But there was one who achieved resurrection body. You and I could never have achieved what it takes to go there. But there was one who achieved it, and he united himself with us and will give us a body like his, so that just like we bore the image of the first Adam, we will bear the image of the last Adam, and then we will be welcomed in. Here is the good news for us, dear friends. Because Jesus rose, you will have a resurrection body like his. Let's pray.